Good morning, Renovation. It's so good to be with you. Uh, Pastor Kurt uh, tried to describe how you're going to get these because, as you know, you can't possibly listen to the word uh, from me without filling in your blanks. Uh, and by the way, the way you find that is not intuitive. You have to click in the chat area where it says moment. Now, I thought having a moment meant something different, uh, but in any case, uh, click on moment, uh, get it down, you will be very proud. One page in 14 font, never seen before. Um, so, uh, I also hope that since you don't mind, uh, you, you don't have to, to, to leave or drive, I hope you have your 10-pound Bible, but if you don't, at least have your electronics ready, because today we're going to look at two incredible passages of Scripture, first in Hebrews 11 and then Judges uh, chapter six. Uh, but what a time to look at the issue of fear. Um, we live in a time of fear, and um, actually a time where many in the media and many uh, leaders seem to be actually using fear, even encouraging fear. Um, when people are fearful, they're easy to control. Uh, and... Um, so we see this happening. We're surrounded by fears of a pandemic, about cultural upheaval, about health and jobs and lost jobs, about economic calamity, potential global depression. Um, in many ways, we're a society on the edge. But what strikes me most is the amount of fear and worry and anxiety among believers. Now, fortunately, during times like these, as you know, <laughs> uh, when David was little, our son, he, um, he talked about the, um, uh, the, the book of Proverbs, but he couldn't say Proverbs yet, so he said uh, the book of problems. Uh, and in many ways, the Bible is a book of problems, and amazingly how God comes through uh, when that happens. And uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, because here we see this incredible faith chapter that can be such an amazing uh, uh, encouragement to us, because these people <laughs> had problems. Start with uh, me in 11.32 in Hebrews, right? And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went around, listen, they went around in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. What an incredible lineup. What an encouragement to see how these people walk by faith. But there's a paradox for me, maybe not you, but when I get to the end of the faith chapter and hearing of these great biblical figures, I think, wow, amazing people. But I could never be like them. Now, the word it, it does a remarkable thing with these heroes of the faith. 
If you actually read through the lives of these people, it demythologizes them. It shows their issues, their moments. <laughs> it shows their problems. And it's brutally honest about the fact that they weren't ridiculously talented people with superhero powers. Not at all. It actually shows that when we study the word, it unpacks and uh, we watch God develop their faith, we find out that there's hope for us even when we start out with doubt. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed the transition so explicitly, but look at the transition to the next chapter. Look how Hebrews 12 begins. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, all these great heroes of the faith, look at this, let us lay aside us. Therefore, because of them, let us Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. I want you to think about this with me. The word tells of the incredible faith heroes in chapter 11 and then it says that the Lord wants to make us like the great cloud of witnesses. And what did they do? They conquered kingdoms. They put armies to flight and shut the mouths of lions and they quenched the power of fire. And the Lord says to you and me, listen, my child, I want you to be like them. That's tough when people in the church are so anxious and fearful. But amazingly enough, we're gonna find out that's actually one of the prerequisites for being great in the kingdom. So I wanna look at just one person from the incredible Hebrews 11 uh, 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 lineup of people and show that God has a plan to make the weak of faith, the doubting, into great faith heroes. Turn back with me to Judges. Judges is about, oh, 20% into the, into the Bible. Um, it's after Joshua, and if you get into Ruth and the kings and the uh, Samuels and the kings, etc., turn back to the left. Chapter six, and we see here uh, Israel's in trouble. Look at this. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens, which were in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and they would go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts for number. Both their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel, listen, the nation was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. So I wanna go through the teaching points early in the life of Gideon. This is not the famous part of Gideon, and see the points that we draw from this passage. Point one, and if you have printed out, uh, or have an e-copy that you can uh, put, put into, here, here are gonna be the blanks. Notice, point one, making of a person of faith often begins when life is tough and God's people are very low. You see, in tough times, we tend to focus on just getting through, just surviving, but not God. 
He wants to, us to view hardship as a wake-up call. So if times are tough for you, take heart. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? If you will let him, God will use this time to build your faith. Now look at verse seven. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and he said to them, thus says the Lord, oh boy, I don't like it when the prophet shows up. The God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery and I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and possessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you live. Listen to this. Listen to the prophet. But you have not obeyed me. Point two, when a nation rejects God, he disciplines the nation, but he also comes looking for people to help him save the nation. You see, if our eyes are open at all, we can't miss the parallels between this story and our nation's current situation. Wickedness abounds. Now, one good thing that's happening is a growing awareness of the presence of the evil of racism. But don't get distracted by the cultural fray. You see, racism isn't a political sin. It's not a sociological sin. It's actually a sin against God himself. And this is because of the infinite value that God has given to humans. He literally infused his very image into every human who has ever been conceived. So when we look on another person, regardless of what we're thinking in our mind, especially if they're not like us, what we know for sure is God is saying, precious. They're precious. They're of infinite value. And those who are filled with his Holy Spirit will have exactly the same attitude about everyone who was ever conceived. But this isn't a place to stop. Racism isn't the only sin that's rampant in America. Our nation is running headlong into wickedness in essentially every aspect of life. You see, decades of calling right wrong and wrong right are now having their devastating impact on our entire culture. Our individual and corporate sins of, here's just a few, pride, greed, racism, lust, domestic violence, abortion, sexual abuse, marital unfaithfulness, ignoring the plight of the marginalized, pornography, and many other sins have riddled our society until the very fabric of our society seems to be crumbling before our eyes. See, we've been making up our own rules. We've been rejecting God's will. We've been demanding our own way for a really long time in our country. I know this is a difficult word and you'll be glad to know that's not, that this is not the main point of this morning, but you know what? I really wanted to get past this section, skip this little paragraph and its implications, but God's word is always right. And the application of this passage is clear. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Judges. America, you have not obeyed me. And this means that if we as individuals and the church and the nation don't repent and return to God, then we will, like Israel, we will be brought very 
low. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it really clearly. That's Old Testament, you might say. Well, listen to the New Testament from the Apostle. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. But here is the great news. God is looking for people who are worthy of his calling, people who are willing to lay down their lives to help him save his world. Now isn't the time for hopelessness. It's a time to be listening for God's call because in times like these, God is always calling his people. See, now we move to our next verse in the text and it gives us a key concept. Here it is. God chooses, this is a mystery, isn't it? God chooses unlikely people for his great purposes. And this passage teaches us the kind of person that God comes looking for when he's preparing to do a great work of faith. Look now at verse 11, the next paragraph. Then the angel of the Lord, not time to go into it, but this is Jesus, this is God, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. So look, first, during times like this, God comes looking for a person who's doing what they can do in a bad situation. Look at this, it wasn't much. All Gideon was doing was saving a little wheat. So if you're in a tough situation, are you sitting around whining or are you doing what you can do to make a difference? Your neighbor, may be at the absolute key inflection point of their entire life. And God might change history through what could happen in that little thing that's not great. Do what you can do. And second, look at this, second. (laughs) You know, by the way, um, just saving a little wheat seems so pathetic, doesn't it? I mean, really? But second, God comes looking for, here it is, a person who's being faithful even though they don't have much faith. (laughs) Where were the wine presses? Down in the valley near the vineyards. And where were the threshing floors? Up on the hilltops where the breeze is strongest and most effectively separates the chaff from the wheat. You got the picture? So why in the world would you be threshing in a wine press? (laughs) Because on top of the hill, if you're threshing wheat, for miles you can see the glittering chaff if you're the enemy. So it's really clear. Why was he working in the wine press? Because Gideon was horrified and hiding. Look how pathetic Gideon was when God showed up to use him. Now verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, this is laughable. (laughs) The Lord is with you. Oh, valiant warrior, are you kidding me? (laughs) Look at this. What's the amazing implication? Write it in. No matter how we see ourselves, God sees us as valiant warriors. Here's this coward hiding from the enemy And God looks at him and he says, he's valiant. So what about you? Have you seen a bit of Gideon in yourself? (laughs) Are you hiding in the wine press when you really should be on top of the hill? 
Yeah, you know what's amazing? The biblical response, if you're thinking about yourself like Gideon was, I'm not talented enough, I'm not gifted enough, I don't have enough faith, the biblical response is an absolute stunner. We're exactly the kind of people God comes looking for when he wants to do something great. Look at verse 13. Then Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, listen to this series of really honest questions. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, and it's given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, (laughs) this would be a place where I would usually, you know, do the explanation that I don't write the Bible and actually show you what the slide of what the Bible should say. The, The Bible should say, and God said, Gideon, you're so worthless and faithless, just get away from me. But look what the Lord says, verse 14. And the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Point three, look at this. God uses weak people. We've already seen he uses unlikely people. God uses weak people for his great purposes. How much strength did Gideon have? Not much. But despite this, God went on to make an outrageous statement. He says, Gideon, go in your strength and deliver the nation. How ridiculous was that? Here's a guy hiding in a wine press, and God tells him to go deliver a nation that's on the brink of destruction. And then God has the audacity to say, Gideon, go in your strength. (laughs) This is a mystery. See, the key to understanding this passage comes from the question that God's asked. That God's asks, do you notice how he finishes this phrase? Have I not sent you? This really helps clarify a major biblical precept. Ready? Here it is. In a key concept, we don't have to be strong. We just have to be sent. So let's stop for a moment and ask some questions. Let's ask ourselves this question. Whose mission are you on in life? When was the last time, listen church, when was the last time you did something that could only be explained because God had sent you to do it, that there was no other explanation? Maybe others were saying, there's no way you could pull that off, there's no way you can do that, but you know God sent you. Is your life consumed with your own plans or are you on a mission that comes from the creator himself. Now, back up for a second. To be fair, really, to all of us, many believers hesitate to do things for God because they feel inadequate. But here's the thing. We will never be strong enough to do anything great for God. Surprise? (laughs) Of course. You know, our job isn't to be strong enough. Our job is to find out where God is sending us and to go no matter how little strength we have. So what have you seen around you that needs to be done for the kingdom? What's God putting on your heart to do for him? That's where he's sending you. And when the Lord sends you, don't wait for more strength. Just go, church. Right now, I fear there's a hunkered down church with God through the word almost hollering at us, go, 
go. It may even be online, you're supposed to go. But connect with that person, do this thing, help those who are hurting, be a part of the answer, help a divided nation unite, be Jesus to a culture. He's, the word is hollering that at us, and I fear that some of us hunkered down are just waiting for the bad things to go away. What's good God putting on your heart to do for him? Go. And this perfectly segues into verse 15. Look at verse 15. And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? That's a pretty reasonable question, don't you think? Behold, look at this. My family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. So Gideon had two big problems. Problem number one, here's your blank. Gideon was from the wrong family. Now you need to understand, Gideon wasn't even from a full tribe. He was from Manasseh. Have you ever noticed there wasn't a tribe of Joseph? Well, yes there was. Joseph got two tribes because Levi had the inheritance of God, not the land. So there's 12 portions of land, but Joseph's son, <laughs> Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they got split. So you ready for this? Gideon starts out from a half tribe. That's exactly what they called it. But it gets worse. The half-tribe was split geographically by the Jordan River, and east-siders were from across the river. Know what I mean? And that's where Gideon was from, and yet it's worse even than that, because even among all of those, as Gideon seems to be saying, basically we're a bunch of low-lifers, hicks from the sticks, he says, my family is the least. So we're talking some fairly serious self-esteem issues here for Gideon. So we're not off the hook, by the way, if we don't feel like we're called, okay? Problem number two says it right in verse, in verse 15. Gideon was too young. So Gideon had the wrong background and he was too young. But God has this strange pattern of choosing inadequate people to carry out his big plans. Listen to this amazing list. David was too small, Amos was the wrong profession, Rahab was a prostitute, Elisha was bald, Paul was slight of stature and probably blind, Ruth was a despised Moabite, and you ready for Moses? Remember, this is the guy that's gonna lead one to two million people across a desert, and he probably was speech challenged. No great orator. This is astounding. So think about it. When God wants to do something mighty, he seems to have this thing about picking the last person that we would ever pick. You know what is wrong with some of the issues related to superstar Christian voices in our culture? Lots of us get the feel that if you can't have a podcast with more than a million people watching, that you really don't have a word from the Lord. And that is so not true. Listen, God chooses inadequate people. In fact, he chooses people like us. In Gideon's case, God obviously knew that he wasn't ready to lead an army into battle. So guess what God does? He says, okay, Gideon, here's the scoop. I just want you to take a baby step. Ready? Skip a couple of, uh, verse, uh, of uh, paragraphs here and down to verse uh, 25. 
Verse 25. Now that same night, okay, God's shown up given him this absurd calling to save the nation with his strength, right? Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah that's beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner and take a second bull at a burnt offering and the wood of the Asherah which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord has spoken to him And it came about because he was, you know what? If we were doing like, you know, word association and I had a big, I had a big um, uh, board up here and I said, okay, I'm going to say a word. And then you just call out the first thing that comes to your mind. If I said the word Gideon, this is not something that I would think of. Look what it says. Because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day. So he did it. By night. I mean, this is remarkable, isn't it? You ready? Point five. God accepts our faith where it is and uses our small faith to start us on the road to great faith. Have you noticed the pattern in every point? Inadequate, too young, you don't have it, you don't cut it, you don't have enough faith, you're anxious, you're worried, and all of them end up with God's doing something great because he starts with someone who's inadequate and won't take the glory themselves because they're strong enough. Notice several things. First, God didn't send Gideon against a whole army on day one, right? All he asked him to do was tear down an idol in a small town, a baby step. And second, Gideon barely had enough faith to do this. Think about this. He was too scared to do it in the daylight So he actually snuck out and did it at night while no one was looking. You see, we tend to say, since I don't have faith to do something big for God, since I don't have great talents or gifts, I'm not gonna do anything. Here's the key. Do something today. Do something for the kingdom. Start small. Even start at night if you're, if you're too afraid to start in the daylight. Start where you are with what you have. Maybe you aren't ready to lead an army, but get started on being an annoyance to the enemy. Get started on tearing down the enemy's bales. Get started on tearing down the idols in our culture, in our neighborhood, in your life. Just start with one idol. And guess what? After learning to annoy the enemy a little, God will take you to the next level, and then, ultimately, he'll make you downright dangerous to the enemy. So let's apply. Faith doesn't exclude doubt, and doubt doesn't exclude faith. No, I'm not schizophrenic. This is a biblical concept. And we're gonna see how true this is. The fact that I have doubts doesn't mean I don't have faith. And if I have faith, doesn't mean I won't doubt. Wipe that concept out. Look at verse 12 again with me. Back to verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, listen to the lineup then why has all this happened to us? 
And where are all his miracles which our fathers have told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from the land of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and is giving us into the hand of Midian. God's response? (laughs) And the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? You see, this is really instructive. We don't build a great faith by pretending that we don't have any doubts. In fact, it's what I've termed a faith-doubt paradox. Look at this, here's your blank. The faith-doubt paradox is this, a part of true faith, you ready for this? A part of true faith is being honest with God about our doubts. I know, it's that biblical mystery, right? It leaves you shaking your head. What do you mean? You mean a true faith? means that I tell God about everything I'm doubting about? And the biblical answer is absolutely. Now, in fact, watch this. Look at Gideon's Gideon's brutal honesty in verse 13. He makes four serious issues that he brings before God. Why has all this happened? This may be the most common question that anyone ever asks God, right? Lord, why are all these difficulties in my life? Second, Where are God's miracles? In other words, Lord, haven't we seen your power? Why haven't we seen your power? We we look around and you just don't seem to be there. His third question, did the Lord not bring us out of Egypt? If you know the story of Israel, this is, in other words, didn't God already deliver us? I thought the battles were over. That's amazing, isn't it? We're in the promised land. Isn't stuff supposed to be cush now? Let's bring it forward to the new covenant. I'm a Christian now. Why do I still have so many problems, Lord? And then finally, look at this one. The Lord has abandoned us. This is as honest as you can get with God Gideon thought that God was completely gone. He looked around and he said, God is nowhere to be found. He has abandoned us. But now that we've established what a pitiful state Gideon was in, we come to the real mind blower. Listen to verse 14 again. And the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Ready? Here's your blanks. In the midst of Gideon's doubt, God appoints him to do one of the greatest tasks in history. And amazingly, God's declaration comes immediately after Gideon's confession of all his doubts, calling God into question. And this brings us into an amazing truth, right? When we have honest doubts about God and our troubles and why he seems to have abandoned us, you ready? He's not nearly as concerned about our tough questions and our doubts as we are. Think of it this way. To us, Gideon looked faithless, but to God, Gideon looked ready for a great work of faith. To us, he looked pathetic, but to God, he was ready for a great work in his life. Anybody out there pathetic? I'll raise my hand. You ready for this? That means God's ready to call. It's a strange biblical mystery. So look at verse 14 one more time. And God looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel. Um, 
notice how it starts? The Lord looked at him. And I think on the screen you're going to have what the Hebrew says. Do you know what that actually means in the Hebrew? And the Lord turned toward him. What's the significance of this? Think about when Jesus hung on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. What did the Father do? He turned away from him. He had to because the Father is perfectly holy. So God turning toward Gideon is of profound significance. When God turned toward him, he was saying, Gideon, even though you have doubts, I approve of you. I want you on my team. What an amazing God of grace. Isn't he good? See, Gideon would have been the little frumpy kid who always gets chosen last if we were doing the picking, but God passed over everyone else in Israel because God saw in Gideon potential greatness. So let me ask, has a God allowed you to be in a place of doubt and trouble and questioning? Are you asking the brutally honest questions that sound like faithlessness? Well, this text has amazing news for us. If that's where you are, then God thinks you're ready for great faith and a great calling. He's so good. Josiah, come on up. The second phrase in verse 14. This is an amazing verse when you unpack it. Look at, go in this your strength and deliver Israel. This brings up an important theological concept in the Old Testament. Okay, now pay attention. This is an important Old Testament concept that's pervasive. Every deliverer in the Old Testament is a prophetic picture, a foreshadowing of Christ. They're not perfect, but they're a prophetic picture. You see it in Moses. You see it in, in many, many. You see it in Joseph. It's, you're a prophetic. So if you're a deliverer, you are a prophetic picture of Jesus. You ready for that? So here's an astonishing passage. In the very midst of Gideon's apparent faithlessness, God appoints him to deliver the nation. So look what that means. On the day of Gideon's greatest doubts, listen church, on the day of Gideon's greatest doubts, God appointed him to be a prophetic foreshadowing of his son. In the very midst of his doubts, the father said, listen, this is stunning. When God called him to be a deliverer, he said, Gideon, you will be a picture of Jesus. But this isn't so strange. What did Jesus ask on the worst day of his life? You probably know the Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think of this. On the very day that Jesus asked why his father had abandoned him, the father appointed him to save the world. And on the day Gideon asked the father why he had abandoned him, the father appointed him to save a nation. Notice, even in the midst of our questions, we can be like Jesus. Christ-likeness doesn't require the absence of doubt. Jesus asked why. So if you're asking why, it doesn't mean you're not being like Jesus. You know what it requires? True honesty and like Jesus, a willingness to obey. And the last phrase, have I not sent you? This is amazing. 
God gives his great personal call to Gideon, not at the high point of his faith, but at the low point. God didn't send him when he felt strong and confident. He sent him in the midst of his great doubts. So what a perfect place to close. I'd encourage you right now, block out what's going on around you, in your home or wherever you are, and I encourage you to make your place an altar. Let me ask a few questions and then we'll sing. Today, do you have fears? Do you find yourself at a low point? Are you wondering where God is in all of this? Are you struggling with doubt? Are you anxious and worried? If this is where you are, here's the big surprise. Listen to the God of mercy. Don't be listening for God's rebuke or chastisement. Be listening for God's call to greatness. Be listening for his call to change the world. Have your eyes open, looking around, heads up. Because listen, if you're low and you're in doubt, God's calling you. If you find yourself asking God questions or feeling inadequate or feeling insignificant or unimportant or unusable, then listen up. God is calling you. God is sending you. So be ready to hear his voice and be ready to say, yes, Lord. In these moments, listen for the word of the Lord. He's calling. Pastor Josiah.